welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series Ecclesiastes, Life Under the Sun. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, hear now the reading of God's holy word. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know, the way of the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Almighty, gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your holy word, grant that our hearts, freed from worldly affairs, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and faith, so that we may rightly discern your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness to your praise and honor. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Parts of this are a familiar text, aren't they? Cast your bread upon the water, Solomon says, or you will find it after many days. Casting a fly upon trout waters, I get. Bread, not so much. It sounds like silly advice for a soggy meal, doesn't it? But if bread is a metaphor for money, as we heard it read earlier in the Proverbs, if it's a metaphor for money used to acquire life's necessities, then casting connotes investing, or also giving, which aligns with the following verse. Verse 2, give a portion to seven, or even eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. And this verse, this 
logic is carried forward on through the passage. In fact, in verse 6, we see that Solomon says, Sow your seed and withhold not your hand. Solomon, who has repeatedly directed us to appreciate and engage in and to industriously pursue work, in a sense, is now teaching us to invest and to give. What Solomon means may be included as an admonition for diversification, bread upon the water. Some scholars say that that may be a reference to money in ships diversified for international trade, which would certainly be in keeping with Solomon's life and what we read in the Scriptures about Solomon's practice. But whether that is a reference to that or not, what we do see is the concept of distribution, distributing wisely, but also giving generously. Not just to one or two or three, but Solomon points to that perfect number of seven, but it could be more than that, to eight as well. What is implied in this generosity is reciprocity. Rather than hoard, we are to cast. Rather than keep, we are to give. That which we cast is given, and it's not loss. In fact, paradoxically, it's gain. Just as, think about this, just as investing requires wise consideration on the front end and patience through the term, giving is a kind of investing. Investing in others, providing a return on investment in the providence of God. This is the way giving works. In fact, Jesus is very clear about this. Jesus says, give, an imperative I might add, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, in our logic, that sounds counterintuitive, especially to anyone who has not embraced giving or who has not developed the discipline of giving. But the giver, the one who consistently gives, knows by experience what Jesus has said here, and what Solomon is saying as well. In other words, in terms of God's provision, it makes no sense for us not to give. Think about that. It makes no sense for us not to give. This is not to say that what we receive will be in the same kind, but blessed we will be. Because we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who said, and I quote, it is more blessed to give than to receive. As was read earlier, Paul is saying, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But there is a broader message here in what Solomon is teaching us that includes 
not only our generosity, but also our diligence. As we cast our bread, as we give our portion, we must remember that we know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now, when you hear that, what we would typically think is, is, well, that sounds like an admonition not to give, right? If we know that there's the possibility for disaster to happen, we should pull back. We should hoard. We should keep. We've got to be prepared for the worst encounter. What are we doing giving to other people? What are we doing giving to the church? (laughs) But as we cast our bread and as we give our portion, we must remember that we know not what disaster will happen, but who knows? Who does know? When we think about potential disaster, we want to hoard. But that's the way of the earthly kingdom. The kingdom of God is very different indeed. As we sow our seed, Solomon says, withhold not your hand. We must remember that we do not know which will prosper. This or that, or whether both alike will be good. Who's to say if you hoard, using the parable that Jesus gave in the New Testament, that you hoard and you put it in your barn and you build a bigger barn to prepare for the end times? Who's to say that that barn won't burn? As we sow our seed and withhold not our hand, we must remember We do not know which will prosper. We don't. But God does. This means that giving generously, and this is so contrary to the way our flesh would lead us, that giving is not based on our abundance. And it's not based on certainty. Which is so contrary, right? Because what we would think is, well, you know, when I I get enough, then I'm going to start giving. I had a friend once upon a time in the early years of this church, he'd say, you know, when when my business gets better and when this happens and this happens, I'm just going to give to the church. And I thought, that's great, I can't wait. He never gave. Because we wait and we wait and we wait and it never comes, so to speak, because giving is not based on abundance, nor is it based on certainty. Giving instead implies trust in the giver of all good things. He's the one who gives. We trust Him. That's why we give. And so trusting God in giving then is godly. Think with me about this. As our Heavenly Father has demonstrated to us, so also we give. It's a verse that we all know. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Our God is a giving God. And even the faith, think about this, the essence of Christianity is faith in Jesus Christ. And who does that faith come from? Do you just conjure it up? 
You wake up today, I just decided to follow Jesus today. No, you didn't. Ephesians says it very clearly. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The very thing that we need most in our Christian faith, that too, God gives. In fact, God has given us, as Peter said to the church, everything we need for a godly life. I'm just going to pause that and let that just sink in for just a minute. How many of us as Christians say, you know, yes, John, I want to live a faithful Christian life. I want to live a godly life. And Peter said, you got it all. You're lacking nothing. Nothing. God has given you Everything that you need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And as recipients of God's riches bestowed upon us, we also give. We give because God has given and we give for His glory. Now, again, as I said, some would argue that they'll give once life gets settled, once there is greater certainty in their circumstances. Has anyone here today, we'll just take a quick survey, has anyone here lived a life in which everything has been settled and there is no uncertainty in your life? None of us, right? It doesn't exist. So stop waiting for the perfect circumstances. And don't let lives... Fear of life's uncertainties pull you down. We get so weighed down by fear and worry. And and then we procrastinate. And then we fall into sloth. And all of this is directed because we think that we've got to get it figured out. That we're just going to wait until things get settled and life's no longer uncertain. And here's what Jesus says. You're not even promised tomorrow. He says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. But, but what? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I'm teaching us this. Solomon, and this is one of the things that I love about Ecclesiastes, is he points us to the natural world. And there's a section in our passage today, when I read it, you may have thought, what in the world is he talking about? The natural world, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, I jokingly say, they're Captain Obvious statements. These are Captain Obvious statements. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. In essence, what's he saying there? Rain clouds produce rain. Thanks. Good. I, I thought this was pretty obvious. I thought we were safe here, right? Falling trees fall. Good. Good. We're batting a, a thousand. Giving people give. Industrious people produce. They work. That's exactly right. We were not merely created to be consumers. 
You've heard me on my soapbox about this. I am so tired as an American citizen of being called a consumer. I'm a citizen of this country, and I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I'm not to be labeled a consumer. My existence does not... Okay, I better just stop there, right? There's another sermon for another day out of Proverbs. But here, what we see is that we're not merely consumers. Solomon is saying that we are doers. We work diligently. We were created to work, to keep creation. And if you are sitting around waiting for the ideal conditions, waiting for life to present you with the perfect scenario, even wallowing in your self-pity, you're like the farmer who observes the wind and will not sow. You're like the farmer who regards the clouds but will not reap. Do you know what kind of farmer that is? Who doesn't sow when it's windy? Who doesn't reap when there are clouds? What kind of farmer is that? A broke one. That's a broke farmer. One who does not work diligently, and when he doesn't work diligently, he can't give generously. And that's no way to live. That's what Solomon, through these simple Proverbs is teaching us that's not how we were created to live. And it's certainly not why we were redeemed to live. Look, your circumstances in life are not your creator. Your circumstances in life are not your sustainer. And they better not be your God. God breathed life in Adam. It's a beautiful picture in Genesis. And from that breath of life, there has been life ever since that day. And what started in your mother's womb resulted in your life today. And Scripture says it's a gift. A gift from God. Why He chose to create you, some of us are still wondering. No. You don't know. I don't know. I don't know why God chose to give me the gift of life. But here's what I do know. Verse 5, you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Everything. So leave the uncertainties of life to God. He doesn't need your work. He doesn't need your worry. Leave them to God. Rather, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For your chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So, since life is uncertain, building your happiness contingently upon it, that's called foolishness, right? Building your happiness on the uncertainty of life is foolishness. Instead, we must accept that life is indeed uncertain and enjoy what God provides. Now, now let me explain this with a personal question. Think with me. When was the last time you stopped to enjoy the beauty of a sunrise or sunset? Some of you are like, well, it was raining last night, so it wasn't yesterday, right? Come on, work with me, folks. When was the last time that you stopped 
and just admired the beauty of a sunrise, looked at the magnificence of a sunset. When was the last time you paused or just to simply acknowledge it's a beautiful day? When my kids were little, our, our oldest, uh, John David, I don't even remember if the other kids were, were born yet. But he'd come in, he was just this happy kid. He'd wake up happy, and he'd come in, and I'm not sure who he learned uh, this expression from, but he'd come in and he'd say, it's a beautiful day. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's a rotten day, kid. Go back to bed, you know. That was typically my attitude, right? And it's a beautiful day, Dad. Oh, it is. It is a beautiful day. Have you ever experienced extended periods of time without sunlight? If you have, when you see sun, what's it like? Oh, wow. I, I took it for granted. I took the sunlight for granted. Solomon says this, and this is one of the most beautiful verses in Ecclesiastes. Light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. And what is he saying there? Is he just talking about the sun? No. He's teaching us to enjoy the amazing blessing of God's common grace. And through it, to let our hearts meditate on the beauty of life and the grace God gives to live it. Day by day, which incidentally is indicative of the sunlight, isn't it? Morning and evening, morning and evening, morning. Amazing how consistent that is, isn't it? Because, as we say, life is short. Or as Solomon says, and he's saying essentially the same thing, life is vanity. That Hebrew word translated, Pah! life is but a breath, and then we're gone. So don't take life for granted, but enjoy every day, every month, every year that God gives. For some of you, those years may be short. For others of you, they may be long. Our responsibility is to rejoice in what gives and to be wise stewards of what He has bestowed upon us, to take care of our vessels, so to speak. It's like each morning's light. Life is a gift. Now, to be clear, if I sound like Pollyanna at this point, uh, this doesn't mean that life is easy. It doesn't mean that life is free of difficulty. As the aged among us would remind us, with many years comes, as Solomon puts it, some dark days. Some days can even seem like an endless night. If you live long enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The question isn't whether there will be dark days in this life or not. The question is, how will we live those dark days? That's what Solomon is challenging us to consider and in doing that, what we need to be careful of is somehow putting some sort of optimistic spin on it. I mean, think about it this way, soberly with me. Will tomorrow be better than today? 
Will it? How do you know? Do you know? There's no guarantee that the future will be better than the past or the present. There is no guarantee. Amidst difficulty, our tendency is is to romanticize yesterday, to take today for granted and hope for better tomorrow. Right? And we're all guilty of this. Benjamin Shaw says, but to think that way, to live that way, is to live in a fantasy world. Let me give you an example to make this sober point. James Stockdale was one of the highest ranking naval officers during the Vietnam War. And he was a prisoner of war for seven years, during which he was repeatedly tortured. And he was given no reason to believe that he would get out alive. But he did. When he was interviewed years later, Stockdale was asked this, so who didn't make it out? To which Stockdale responded, oh, that's easy, the optimists. The questioner was taken aback. What, what, do you, what do you mean? Here's what he said. He said, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas, and Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come, and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving. And then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. As if paraphrasing Solomon, James Stockdale said this, You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never lose, afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. And I'm going to read that again. Because when I read it for the first time, it punched me in the face. So I want you to get punched in the face. Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. James Stockdale was not a pessimist, but he did understand that in this life under the sun, we must embrace the reality of our situation without losing hope in God's provision. We want to treat it like it's either or. And what Stockdale is doing is he's sobering us to the reality to say, no, it's not. You can look soberly at where you are and simultaneously have hope in God's provision. For our hope is not circumstantial. He's resurrected and ascended. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. As the Apostle Paul in Romans teaches us, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be constant in prayer. Three imperatives worth remembering. We may delight in, in the sunlight, even 
in the darkness. And this is wisdom. This is wisdom for all ages, no matter how old you are, what your age is, but it is especially wise for those who are prone to the captivity of their emotions. When, whenever I hear someone say to me that they feel that they must just do something or that they just have a feeling about it, um, it gives me pause. Not because feelings are bad, but because feelings are fickle. Yours and mine. And therefore, because they're fickle, they're untrustworthy. How I feel about something is subject to change. Maybe on a daily basis, why in the world would I trust my feelings? The worst advice I've taught my kids as well. The worst advice that you can give someone is just follow your heart. (laughs) And so why in the world, in verse 9, does Solomon say, walk in the ways of your heart? If that's foolishness, why does Solomon say it here? Some things get lost in translation, literally, such as the word heart. The word heart is used three times in these last two verses. And in the modern sense of the word, when you hear the word heart, especially in media, you typically think heart and you think seat of the emotions. But that Hebrew word, as it is used in the Old Testament, does not refer to the seat of the emotions. It refers to the seat of the intellect, of our understanding as a human being. And so when Solomon is giving counsel here in the latter portion of this chapter, and he tells the young man in his youth to let his heart cheer him and to walk in the ways of his heart, his advice is not to the fickle whims of his feelings, but rather to rejoice in the wisdom of God to live discerning wisely and living according to that wisdom. What Solomon describes, I think, is captured really well in this expression. When Psalm 55 was translated into Latin, there's an expression that the translator used, quorum Deo. Quorum Deo. You might have heard of it before. That Latin expression means in the presence of God, or it can also be translated before the face of God. When her granddaughter began to misbehave, a wise grandmother told her, we must behave ourselves because God is watching us. To which her granddaughter responded, no, He's not, we're inside. But the fact is, Every moment of your existence, every moment of my existence is quorum Deo. There is no inside, right? Solomon says all these things. Your thoughts, your words, your deeds. He says all these things, God will bring you into judgment. We are not hidden from God. And when we hear that, there can be the tendency for it to sound daunting, to sound overwhelming. Oh my gosh, I'm living quorum Deo. Every thought, every word, every deed before a holy and majestic God. 
But those words should not be daunting. To the Christian, they should be liberating. Consider that by God's grace, through faith in Christ, you stand not in your own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. Consider that all who are in Christ have been given the guarantee of His Spirit. We are in the presence of God indeed. Consider that those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Consider that those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, hear me loud and clear as Solomon has delivered this sobering account to us Remove the weight of your worry and cast off the cares of sin. Yeah, give generously, work diligently, walk wisely, trust willingly, and embrace the life God has given you with its sunrises and dark nights. For the light of our life is the light of the world. And in Him is no darkness at all. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we do thank You for Your Word. And as You have revealed the wisdom of Your Word to us, we find in ourselves an attitude that is prone to hoard, that is prone to sloth, that is prone to folly, that is prone to worry and a lack of trust. Oh God, let us hear truly the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that it is in Him, in Him alone, that You have redeemed us as Your people and it is in Him and Him alone that we are able to live for Your glory and to enjoy You forever. We pray this in His name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org. Thank you.